picking back up in our series, uh, My Soul to Keep. Uh, so let me just, if you weren't here uh, for part one, uh, or if you're here today uh, and you don't remember where we were uh, in our first part, let me just kind of bring you up to speed a little bit, just a very, very brief uh, uh, synopsis of uh, where we were. I said that uh, the inspiration for the series uh, comes from the uh, child-like prayer of, uh, I laid me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And that's basically where the idea is. And, and what we basically have been saying is that it, it really is a pretty good idea to pray to the Lord my soul to keep. Because God's the only one who can ultimately keep our soul. Uh, he's the only one who can ultimately save us. We're not saved by our own works or our own deeds. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and ultimately, it's the Lord who, who will ultimately save us as well. And he keeps us saved. And so, and so it's right for us to, to, to pray with childlike faith, my soul to keep. Uh, one of the images that the uh, scripture uses to describe our vulnerability uh, the reason why we need a savior, the reason why we need someone to keep us, uh, the imagery is, is used of sheep. And uh, believers are likened unto sheep. And I don't know if you know this or not, but sheep aren't exactly the smartest critters in the, in the farm. You know, they uh, get in trouble a lot. They kind of are, are, you know, easily wander off. Uh, they easily get lost. Uh, but the, the thing that they have going for them, the you see, they don't have fangs and they don't have sharp teeth or claws or any of that stuff to, to defend themselves. But what they, what they have as their greatest means of defense is that they have a shepherd. And that we have a shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so it is absolutely essential that we stay as close to the shepherd as is possible. Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. So that, that's really a good thing. And, and so if you're here this morning and you're trying to figure this thing out about do I put my faith and trust in Christ? Should I become a follower of Jesus? I want, I want to tell you that from the moment that you make that decision that, that Jesus will be the shepherd of your soul, th- there is that promise of protection that is afforded to you as well as all of the other blessings that come. So in part one, we took a look at the little letter of Jude. And uh, Jude has this, uh, this, this, this great uh, verse that says, unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And so we, we said that everything that we're going to talk about in this series has got to come through the filter of Jesus who is able to keep us from falling. Ultimately, he's not only able to keep us from falling, but to also present us eternally faultless before his presence with, with, with exceeding joy. And so we, we are giving the glory to, to Jesus for what he is able to do for us and do with us. But there's a human responsibility. And that human responsibility that we talked about is also mentioned in, in the book of Jude. Where he says, but keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, he, says, he says, first build yourselves up in the most holy faith, which we said is the gospel. That, that we have a responsibility to know the gospel, to love the gospel. And I said, especially to preach the gospel to ourselves. 
And when we do that, we are, we are endeavoring to keep ourselves in the love of God. When, we, when we're under temptation, keep yourself in the love of God. When you feel condemned, keep yourself in the love of God. When the accuser points his finger at you, you keep yourself in the love of God. When you're going through trials and adversity, remember to keep, to guard, to protect, to preserve your heart in the love of God. And this is so important. So, the word to keep means literally to, to preserve, to guard, to protect. And uh, there is nothing more important. There, there is nothing more precious. There is nothing of more value than your soul. And J- Jesus said it best when he said, what will a, a prophet a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So with the emphasis that Jesus placed on the importance of my soul to keep, Let's, let's, let's just pray one more time this morning and, and ask the Lord to open up our eyes and to open up our understanding of just how important of a subject this is. So, Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we thank you that he has been set as a savior, as a shepherd, to, to keep what we commit unto him against that day. And so we pray that you would help us to understand that even while Jude speaks of the ability of Jesus to keep us, he also speaks about these dangers that were, that were present, that, that, that through many dangers, toils, and snares, we shall come by the grace of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. About 100 years ago, which, which to be honest with you, is really not that long ago. Uh, my, if my dad was alive, he'd be over 100 years old. So, so in a previous generation, you know, uh, they had in their medicine cabinets this, this medicine that was kind of a, a cure for everything. You know, if, if you got a cut or an abrasion, you know, you would topically apply this medicine to your wound. Uh, if, you, if you had a stomach uh, issue, you know, you could take a spoonful of this, this goodness and, and it would, it would, you would hope to be cured by this great medicine that, that people really believe to be a, a cure for just about anything, right? And it was this silvery kind of liquid called mercury. Now we know just how toxic of a, product mercury is and, and how deadly it is. And, and listen, think about it. Parents gave their children spoons full of mercury and, and people meaning well took mercury as a means of trying to make themselves better, but didn't realize, were clueless about just how dangerous and toxic a product it was. It kind of reminds me of another illustration that I shared with the church not that long ago, maybe well, it was a couple of years ago, I guess. But but it's a true story. It was a, there was a woman who had who had this huge. I mean, talking about a huge pet snake. Now, now, why anybody would want a snake as a pet? I'm clueless. You know, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't see any reason to have a snake as a pet. But but she loved this thing, and and she she thought this thing was so affectionate. And again, I don't, know, I don't know how you can be. This thing would snuggle up to her at night while she laid in bed, right? And then all of a sudden, just she was greatly concerned about the snake because all of a sudden they just stopped eating. So she calls up a local veterinarian to kind of get advice because she's worried about the snake. She thought it was sick, right? 
And so, and so she explains the whole scenario of what's going on with the snake. He cuddles up to her at night, and, and he hasn't been eating now for, for several weeks now, and she's really concerned. And he says, he says, lady, there's nothing wrong with your snake. Your snake is not really snuggling up to you because it's affectionate. It is, it is measuring you. And it's not eating so, because it's making room for you. You are its intended dinner. She didn't realize. I mean, she, uh, in another case, absolutely clueless about the danger that she was in. Now, I want to draw these two parallels and say that there is a toxic poison, a deadly thing that, that has the appearance of, of being good and, and, and even a predator that, that seemingly is, is uh, not harmful, but in fact is lethal and is actually deadly. The New Testament writers like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, as shepherds, they care about the sheep and, and they, they want to see the sheep protected. Remember we looked in our first week at Proverbs 4.23, which says, says that we're to keep the heart, that we're to guard our hearts with all diligence or above all else because out of it determines the, the course of life. The issues of life are determined by the course of a heart. And so we're to guard, we're to preserve, we're to protect our hearts, right? And, and that's what their concern is when they, when they give th- this advice as we're going to look at this morning. So here's the question that I want to ask and, and, and answer. What is this, this deadly toxin, this legal danger that seems harmless but is really so deadly? And 1 John chapter 5. Now, now John is to be distinguished. He's, we're not talking about the gospel of John. John wrote what's called three epistles or three letters, one, two, and three. 1 John is the first letter that John wrote. It's longer than the other two letters. And in chapter 5, I and mean, there's a lot of things that John covers in five chapters. But in the last chapter, he speaks of things... Un- Number one, that we should have courage and also that we should be cautious. Number one, we should have courage because what he says is those that belong to God, everyone that belongs to God overcomes the world. And this is the victory by which we overcome the world, even our faith in the Son of God. So, so that great cause for encouragement. But the caution that John uses is powerful because John, John says that we know that the whole world, the whole world is lying in the embrace of the wicked one. And, and the imagery that John draws is that of Satan rocking the entire population of the world as if it was in a cradle. He is, he is swaying the world, deceiving the world. And in fact, the Bible says that, that, that he's the one who has deceived the entire world. And so the danger that we may be in, maybe we may be totally clueless to the danger that is post, certainly the, the danger is for everyone, but, but for those of us who are believers in Christ, we, we do have a course of action. God is, will not leave us helpless. But in six words, John concludes his letter. Six words is, is like the sounding of the alarm. It's like the ringing of the bell. It's like all, all hands on deck, you know, battle stations. And just, just six words, and listen to that. This is what John says. 1 John 5, verse, verse 21, the last verse of this, of this letter, he says, little children, 
keep, guard, protect, preserve yourselves from idols. Your responsibility, keep yourselves from idols. One translation says, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Now, we, we know that all, all sin is, is offensive. Uh, some sins, however, are more hideous than others. And I believe that idolatry is probably one of the most hideous because it is a sin against the one whom we ought to love with absolute undivided devotion. Uh, in our prayer time this morning before service, when Brendan was, was praying, uh, he was talking about just, just wanting to be rid of the evil that, that is around us and even that is within us. And I, I grabbed him at the end uh, when everybody else walked away and I said, I said, I said that was a prayer about the, the fourfold deliverance that we have. We, we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin and even from the pleasure of sin. Sin is no longer what it once was to us no longer brings us joy and satisfaction if you're in Christ. But, but the cry of his heart was that we would be ultimately delivered from the very presence of sin. And the issue of idolatry is huge. An idol is not simply an image made out of wood or stone or metal. It is anything we love and pursue in the place of God. And that's why it becomes so serious. An idol is something other than God setting our hearts upon him and our affections upon him. It becomes the motivating force, force of our life. It, it affects our desires, our hopes, our dreams. It affects every part of us. And it is a toxic poison and a lethal predator that seeks to destroy the idolatry. Here's a quote from Richard Keyes. He says, an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitudes and actions toward them. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an over-attachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. And this, that, that's where the danger lies. We could make idols out of the blessings that God has lavished upon us. An idol can be a physical object, it can be a house, it can be a car, it can be a thing, it can be a person, it can be a spouse, it can be a child, it could be a lover, an activity, a pleasure, a hero, anything that can substitute for God. Now that, that is alarming to us, but a statement that I came across that is the most disturbing to me, the most troubling to me, as I, as, as I and Brendan and, and all of us deal with the fact that we're still living in this world that is surrounded by sin and that there is still yet things in us that God wants to, to transform. The most troubling statement I came across was spoken by or written by John Calvin. And this is what he said, and, and it absolutely flawed me. He said, the human heart is a factory of idols. It's not a workshop, which you, you, you make one at a time. No, it's a factory. I mean, th th think of being, you know, mass production. Uh, a, what do you call those belts? Those, those, say it again. 
assembly line. I mean, just think about a fa- the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us from his mother's womb is expert at inventing idols. That truth should greatly alarm us. It should greatly trouble us. If it's true, and I believe that it is, that we are born with a predisposition to create idols of the heart. Ezekiel speaks of idols of the heart. These are things that we get connected to emotionally. These are things that we get connected to mentally. A factory produces many. And what makes an idol so dangerous is that we can become clueless to their presence. Even those blessings that God has lavished upon us. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So John calls us with this call of being alert. Battle stations, all hands on deck. Because what we're really dealing with is the most basic question of all. A question that God asks of each and every one of us. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of our life? Or has something else occupied the place of love and affection and devotion that only he deserves? It's a question of the lordship of Christ. And that's a question I want to ask myself. And I can't even trust my own heart because Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So if the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I might be standing right now posing the most important question of your life. We might be standing at the most important crossroads of our life here on earth. If there's nothing as important as loving God, and yet this is so deceptively dangerous and toxic and lethal to have an idol in the heart. And so the issue of idolatry is the most, it is is one of the most comprehensive subjects in the entire Bible. In fact, all you have to do is look at the history of the children of Israel and see that that is true. Over the centuries of of the prophets dealing with this issue of, of idolatry. And it's also in the New Testament as well. Maybe that's one of the reasons why it's not a bad prayer to pray in childlike faith, my soul to keep. Lord, I I pray my soul that you would keep my soul. Now, I believe this, that number one, being aware that idols can find a place in my heart and your heart is is the first step. It's it's, it's the first step in overcoming and and of defeating the idols of our heart. Being aware, you know, like, like the lady who got the message from the veterinarian, lady, your snake is not, is, is not sick. It's planning on eating you and devouring you. So, so th- that alert, that phone call, that awareness now, you know, gave her the insight to realize just how dangerous of a situation she found herself in. Once an idol is exposed, then by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we can, we can by the gift of, of repentance, 
and of confession and faith toward God, we can be delivered from that idol. I believe that the grown-up version of my soul to keep can be found in, in this following verse in Psalm 139, verse 23. It's the grown-up version. The psalmist says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The, the living translation says, See if there's any idolatrous tendency in me. And if we believe that we're born with this propensity to create a factory of idols, then then we need to pray this prayer earnestly and repeatedly before the Lord. And I said, half the battle is being aware that an idol can captivate our hearts and that we need the Lord, to help us in bringing about a deliverance from this. We don't want anything to take the place of the love and devotion that belongs to God alone. Now, if you discover this morning or maybe over the next several days as the Holy Spirit begins to maybe reveal, as you pray that prayer, God, search my heart and know if there's, if there's anything that's offensive to you. And you sincerely pray that, and the Lord reveals something to you. I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to, that's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is to equip you so that you can get set free. And and this is the first step in getting set free. Being aware of the danger, of the toxicity, and the, the, the lethal danger that surrounds us because of idols of the heart. Now, here's the distinct advantage that we have. We have the ability to take our soul to the cross. You know, there's, there's power in the blood of Jesus. Uh, there, there's an old song that used to, used to ask the question, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's wonder-working power in the blood. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all un righteousness. And so, and so by faith in the blood of Jesus, we, we come in a place of, of, of repentance. And you know what? It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And there, there is no place in this world that the goodness of God is revealed in a greater dimension than at the cross. For it's at the cross where, 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 where the goodness of God is revealed in his unconditional love for us. That that he loves us so much that he won't leave us in this toxic and lethal danger, but he's come to provide a way by which we can escape. And I wanna, I wanna just challenge you to be ruthless with yourself when it comes to idols of the heart. Just like the prophets in the Old Testament, Samuel and Elijah, they were ruthless against the issue of idolatry because it was so, so important. Become single-minded in your love and devotion to Christ. Ask him for the help. Now, you got to ask the question, why does God even demand from us that we would be ruthless with these idols? You know, think about it. If the human heart is a factory producing idols, then why does God even bother with us, right? I mean, if we, we have this propensity, this, this 
tendency to, to, to create these idols. Why does God even bother with us? And the answer is simple. It is because of his unconditional love for us. That he will not leave us without transforming us or changing us or conforming us into the image of his son. You know, there's a book called Is God a Moral Monster? And in, in this book, um, the, the author is dealing with the jealousy because the Bible often reveals God as a jealous lover. And, and, and the author asks the question, is it ever good is jealousy ever good? And, and, he, and he answers, in the case of God, yes, it, it has got to be good. And, and this is his answer in part. He says, in God's case, it's when we are rummaging around the garbage piles of life and we're avoiding the real source of joy and pleasure. And then, and then he says, it reminds him of a comic strip that he once saw of, of a dog uh, drinking out of a toilet. And with, with water dripping from the dog's snout, you know, Fido, Fido makes this comment. He, sa- he says this. He says, it doesn't get any better than this. Think about that. Our trying to find satisfaction in everything else is, is, like, is like Fido drinking out of the toilet. And we think it doesn't get any better than this. I was talking with my son when we went away. Uh, on the retreat last week, I, I was remembering my, my grandson, Luke, he's like eight years old now. Two years ago, so about six years old, we were at a wedding and, and he's on the beverage line. And he's been, he's been downing uh, Shirley Temples, you know, one right after the other. He's been, he's been drinking Shirley and he's online. And he says to somebody, he says, he says, with all sincerity, he says, this is the best day of my life. And I didn't know this, but Anthony told me last weekend, he said, did you know that Lukey got sick to his stomach? So what seemed to be the best day of his life really made him sick. And you know, that's what it's like with idols. It it seems like this is going to be satisfying. This is going to be pleasurable. But they always fail us in the end. What's the reason why? Why is God jealous? Let me, let me tell you, if, a, if a, a woman is not jealous when another woman is making eyes at her husband, then she doesn't really love her husband. Because the emotion that that should create is anger and jealousy and outrage at a deep violation. God isn't some abstract entity. He's not some impersonal principle. And I guess, I guess we could say it is amazing that God would so subject himself to the emotional distress of what it would be like to experience the suffering of being rejected and of betrayal. Is it a husband? A husband who doesn't get jealous when his wife is making eyes at some other man, doesn't love his wife. And it's because God is infinitely jealous of us that he will not accept there to be idols in our life, anything that will take his place. Like Fido drinking out of the toilet. He wants something way better for us. Somebody said one of the worst things about idols, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they're utterly useless when we need their help the most. They can't speak and they can't walk and they can't stretch out their hand to help. 
in his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller made this statement. He said, idols generate a false belief such as if I can't achieve X, then my life won't be valid. Since I have lost or failed at Y, now you fill in the blank, he says, I could never be happy. I'm a disappointment. And he illustrates it by telling a story about a woman who was attending his church named Mary. And Mary was depressed. She was in and out of psychiatric institutions. She gave him permission to speak to her therapist, to to help her in this depression that was coming over to the point of she was wanting to commit suicide. The therapist said Mary virtually worships her parents. She wants her parents' approval. They had always hoped that she would become a gifted, well-known musician. Mary's good, but she never reached the top of her profession. And so in her mind, she believes that she, she, she's let her parents down. She can't live up to that ideal. Medications have helped her, but they haven't really gotten down to the root of her real problem. The root of a real problem is a false belief driven by an idol. She told herself that if I can't be come famous as a violinist, then I've failed my parents and I've let them down. Now, what he writes in his book is this, that when Mary began to believe the gospel and it began to really, the light began to go on, she began to realize that, that it had nothing to do with her achievement or her performance. And, and, and even if her mother and father would forsake her, the Lord would raise her up. She began to get relief and ultimately deliverance from, from, from something that was so severe in her life that she wanted to take her own life. I tell you what, I was thinking about that. It's amazing how many people really live for the approval of others. They, they live for the approval of parents or they live for the approval of their spouse or their, or their children as well. And to live for that is to make that person into the idol of the heart. C.S. Lewis, I have a quote from him, and, and it's, he uses some wording that is, that is a little unfamiliar with this, so I'm going to kind of break it down so that we could understand it. He says this, he says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, in other words, when I've, when I, when I've come to learn God better than my spouse, better than my child, better than my job, I shall love my earthly dearest, my, my spouse, my my job, my child, I shall love my earthly dearest at the expense of God instead of God. I shall not be moving toward the state in which I shall love my earthly dearest at all. He says, this is where it breaks down. This is where it fails. And, and maybe this last sentence is the clearest. And that is, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but they're increased. And I can testify that in my own personal relationship with my wife, that God healed more than 40-something years ago. Putting God first, having God as the priority of our hearts has only made our love relationship one of the strongest I know. So here's the secret of diffusing the power of idols, all right? You ready? Here's the secret. 
It's in cultivating a love for God above all else in this life. It's not about smashing idols as much as it is about putting our energy and our strength in seeking God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving God more than we love anything else, falling in love with an amazing Savior. Somebody said that the terrible price of, of, of sin and idolatry is that you, it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. It will take you further than you're willing to go and it will keep you longer than you're wanting to stay. So what are we to do? What are we to do? I, I mentioned a couple of steps already. First step, being aware. We, we, we take Psalm 139 and we pray that back to God. God, search my heart. Know if there's any offensive way, any idolatrous way in me and lead me in the path of life. But let me just encourage you for a minute because in Psalm 130, verse 33 and 4, it says this, if you, O Lord, keep a record of sins, O Lord, then who could stand? Who could possibly stand before God if, if, if God kept the record? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are revered. You are feared. In other words, because there is forgiveness with God, we can keep coming back to him. If the Holy Spirit puts a searchlight on our hearts and reveals, you know what? This thing is an idol to you. What we need to do is humbly uh, and childlike pray my soul to keep. A little uh, Katie was taken to the pediatrician for the annual uh, checkup. And uh, the pediatrician that was going to examine her before, he, uh, he looked into her ears. He said, he said, Katie, will I find Big Bird in your ears? And she, you know, apprehensively said, no. And uh, he said, before he looked at in her throat, he said, will I find Cookie Monster in your mouth? And she again said, no. And then he, he had a stethoscope and he was going to examine her heart. And he said, will I find Barney in your heart? And she just looked him square in the eye and said with childlike conviction, she said, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> now, it's okay. Maybe not for this group to have Barney on your underwear. <laughs> I'd be worried about that. But, 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 but listen, she had her priorities straight. The only place to give her heart was for Jesus. And I think that's really one of the, the things that we're, we're saying this morning. He's the only one worthy of this position. Uh, this uh, past week was uh, Grandparents' Day uh, at uh, Smithtown Christian School. And uh, my wife and I, we had five classes to go to. We have seven, seven of our grandkids at uh, Smithtown Christian School, but only five are the, in the lower grades that we uh, had to go and visit. And they had prepared stuff for us. And, and uh, Landon gave me this. And, and I know you can't see it from back there, but it's a hand. Can you see the heart in the middle? Okay, and what it says is this. You hold my heart in your hand. When I saw that, I thought immediately of this message. And I thought, really, this is true. We are as close to God as we want to be. We are as in love with God as we want to be. Now, I got to say this, and, and I, I want you to know this from the heart, that 
to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is humanly impossible. It takes God to love God. It takes the power of God to love God. And God has not left us often. He's not left us hopeless or helpless. He has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to cascade the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. And he's begun a work in us. And he will complete that work, the good work that he's begun in us. Here's my bottom line this morning. I pray the Lord, my soul, to keep. So Lord, keep me from from idols. That's an important part of what we should pray on a periodic basis. The only thing that can we can fix our hearts on without regret is God. When he becomes the object of our devotion, our lives are enhanced in every way. That's why it's called worship. That's why our devotion to God, our love for God is called worship, while, while devotion to anything else is called idolatry. In 1707, uh, a guy by the name of Isaac Watts wrote the following. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, a love beyond degree. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself. Tis all that I can do. And that's what God asks for. He says, my son, in the book of Proverbs, give me your heart. That's what he wants. The chorus to that song, over 300 years old, says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. We have access to the power of of the cross. Let's close in prayer this morning. So Father, we thank you today for the cross. We thank you for the love. We thank you for the cost. We thank you for the savior that you've provided for us to set us free from the factory of creating idols. That we would know, Lord God, that deliverance not only from the penalty of sin, but from the pleasure of sin, from anything else that brings us joy or pleasure that that has taken your place in our hearts and lives. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. That's, That's the heart's cry of the psalmist, but that's also our cry this morning, that you would do these things for us and in us because we we realize just how 
toxic this world is. Just how, how dangerous and lethal a world that is lying in the embrace of the wicked one is. And so we look to you, Lord, that you would keep us from idols.